Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, fellow Sark Fighter Mary Kay Reidenbach has been fighting sarcoidosis for 28 years. But had not heard of sarcoid, and my internist at that time said, well, I don't, you know, looking back, I don't think they were that familiar with it either. Mary Kay has been through it all. Uh, and then my kidney functions were waxing and waning. Like they were dropping into levels that weren't weren't optimum. Her story coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Kinevent Sciences. Kinevent is researching a potential new drug for sarcoidosis called nemilumab, which inhibits one of the key proteins believed responsible for granuloma formation and persistence in sarcoidosis. Listen to episode 69 of the podcast, where Kind of CEO Bill Gerhardt and the Director of Patient Advocacy, Rainey Rogers, discuss the status of nemilumab and how you, as a sarcoidosis patient, can participate in the Phase 2 clinical trial called Resolve Lung. And there is a link in the show notes. Hey, I recently hosted the FSR Town Hall with the company called 23andMe, the DNA researchers, and we looked at the role of genetics in sarcoidosis. And as expected, the scientists at 23andMe, as well as Dr. Courtney Montgomery, the director of sarcoidosis research at the clinic at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation, uh, who also spoke, all suggested that there are some genetic ties, some at least some genetic markers to sarcoidosis. And we still don't understand all we know about that, but we're making progress. Now, this is not the same thing as saying, oh, there's a sarcoidosis gene. So if you're born with that gene, you're going to get sarcoidosis. There are some diseases out there that are like that. This is not this is not one of them. But what they're saying is is they are starting to see some correlation and perhaps some causation among genetic markers and uh, genetic factors that seem to be related to SARC. So when you see one thing, you tend to see sarcoidosis. Not always, but you tend to see it. And I'm going to jump off right there because you need to listen to the experts talk about this in much more explicit and accurate terms, I am very much broad-brushing it here. Uh, the bottom line is is there is a lot of new information out there, and so that town hall will be released as a podcast soon, and then you'll be able to hear them discuss that in detail from their perspectives as experts in the field. So again, look for that soon. Uh, right now, I have not yet received the audio file from that recording, and when I do, I will process it and we'll get it out there for you. But I suspect that is because the team at FSR is so busy planning for uh, what is, as I'm speaking, next week, which is a very, very busy week because of the FSR Crystal Awards Gala. And that's actually a, a week from today as I'm recording. And so by next episode, I'll be able to tell you all about it, as I've mentioned. 
as I've mentioned, I'll be receiving one of the four awards that evening in Washington, D.C., and my wife Mary and I are looking very much forward to that. We'll also be attending a congressional briefing on sarcoidosis, which is prior to the gala up on Capitol Hill. And then the next day, the I'll be putting on my tourist hat the day after the gala, and we're actually going to do a tour of the White House. I had to go through my congressman's office and uh, and and do the booking, and that doesn't always get approved, but yay, it did. Uh, I've never done the White House tour before, so I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to telling you about all of that in an upcoming episode. But this must be an amazingly busy time for the folks at FSR who are uh, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, and there have got to be a zillion of them with everything they have going on planning this event. So uh, that's probably why uh, they have not seen fit to stop everything they're doing and send me the uh, the MP4 file, which I will compete, which is a video file, and then I will convert that to an audio file, and you will be able to listen to the uh, the podcast with 23andMe. Uh, long way of saying that. Uh, also, last time in the last episode, uh, I shared with you that because of the sarc-induced neuropathy that I suffer from, a lot of my muscles in my back, chest, abs, neck, just don't fire the way they used to, and that I was just absolutely worn out after a day of fishing. Uh, And I I was working on a story for a segment that I do on WSLS 10 here in Roanoke, Virginia, where I'm the anchorman. Um, And so I reached out to the listeners and asked if you had any ideas on an exercise that might address those particular muscles. And Sam Wassell, who was my guest back in episode 82, back in March of 2023, emailed suggesting something called the Superman exercise. And I um, had not thought of that. I've actually done it a couple of times. Essentially what it is is you lay on the floor on your stomach, and it's kind of painful. I'm not going to lie. And then you put your hands out in front of you like you're flying like Superman. And then you arch your back and lift your legs behind you and your arms and neck. And then you just relax back to the floor. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And uh, that I, I could see where that would actually hit every single muscle that I was complaining about. And I could also see why... Um, people don't do it every day <laughs> because it is it is kind of an awkward movement and, and um, a, a little bit painful. But Sam, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. And I promise as uh, soon as I get the nerve up, I'm going to do it because I think it will really help. And in the meantime, I'm going to also be renewing my membership at the YMCA, and starting to lift weights again and do all those things that I've I've kind of let slip. Um, and that's what I'm finding, too, you know, that after 60, you you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And uh, you know, even though I'm pretty active, I just feel like man, those muscles are just, they are just shot. And I've never had a day where uh, I couldn't continue to, to fish until I didn't want to fish anymore. This time, uh, I had I had to stop. I literally didn't have the energy to to throw the line out there one more time. Um, 
So be that as it may, don't feel too sorry for me. Uh, it's just something that's going on in my life. But we all talk about how sarcoidosis affects us. And I try to share little anecdotal uh, things that have happened between episodes. And that's the one was, that's been top of mind for me lately. But let's get to today's interview. Mary Kay Reidenbach, uh, Reidenbach lives in Michigan. And she reached out after discovering the podcast, and I wanted her to join me to talk about how she's been fighting sarcoidosis for going on 30 years. I think it's right at 28 years, but it's been long enough. We can, we can start rounding to the, to the nearest multiple of 10. And she's had multiple organ involvement, and it seems like she just can't get a break. And yet... She, as you will hear, has an adventuresome spirit, and I admire her because she has not let sarcoidosis take her down. And her story is coming up next on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. And joining me now is Mary Kay Reidenbach, uh, who is in Michigan and has been fighting sarcoidosis for 27 years plus. Mary Kay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, uh, gosh, you have been fighting this for a long time. I mean, when what was the first thing you knew was wrong? Well, I my, my uh, course has not been typical of what I have heard on your podcast. I have um, been able to glean a lot of information over the past couple of weeks. I think I've jammed in 20 some podcasts in two weeks since I've discovered it. And um, I actually, my history goes back, medical history goes back a little bit further. I had to um, have a surgery in 1990. That was kind of, they all changed the face of what our family was going to look like. Um, and uh, after the surgery, when I was in recovery, I was told they had removed a mole that they didn't like that I had shown multiple doctors. And uh, lo and behold, that was a melanoma. And so the mm. protocol at that time for melanoma was to do yearly chest x-rays and blood work for follow-up. You know, they did a, um, immediately, like within six weeks, they had done a surgery to check for nesting and to see what level I was at. And then the, there had been no nesting, so we did no treatment for the melanoma. There was nothing that uh, we were doing other than watching blood work and chest x-rays. And in 1996, lo and behold, something showed up on the chest x-ray and they thought, it, they assumed it was a metastasis. And they, um, and uh, we gave it six weeks, nothing had changed. And so we opted to go in and do a medial spinal biopsy. Of biopsy. The, okay. Yeah. Yep. 
And that came back as sarcoid. And um, we were all thrilled it wasn't a metastasis. But with all my medical background and exposure over the past 20 years of that, I had not heard of sarcoid. I'd heard of a lot of other, like a histoplasmosis and, you know, all kinds of other lung diseases. Right. But had not heard of sarcoid. And my internist at that time said, well, I don't, you know, looking back, I don't think they were that familiar with it either. And the thought was, you're not having any symptoms. We're not going to do any treatment. And I was okay with that. I thought, well, okay, well, and, you know, they said typically for most people, it just goes away. And it, and it wasn't cancer. So, yay. Good for you. Yay. Yeah, we moved on. And right. um, so then in uh, 2004, my mom had passed. And then in 2006, 13 months later, my dad got really sick and was in the hospital for a month. And I began coughing. And I was so um, overwhelmed with what was going on with him and still grieving the loss of my mom that it was something I just didn't want to deal with at that time. And um, the cough got worse and worse. And um, I had worked with an attorney who had sarcoid and he was being treated at U of M. So I got a hold of him to find out who his doctor was and called the sarcoid clinic at U of M. University of Michigan. University of Michigan. Yeah. And um, was treated there for a, quite a period of time. Um, my mom had had rheumatoid arthritis since she was like 45 and was never able to get off prednisone. So I was very leery. I was very anti-prednisone. I'd seen what she'd gone through when she tried to withdraw. And I wanted no part of that. I think... Looking back, that was probably a mistake and from the standpoint of um, not undergoing some aggressive treatment. Undergoing, I'm sorry, what? Some aggressive treatment. Aggressive treatment, yes, of course. Right. I agreed to a pulmonary in, or a steroid inhaler. And um, things settled down to the point that the doctors were satisfied with it. And I was satisfied with it. And I kind of thought, okay, well, that was that little bout in my medical history and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Right. So in 2009, um, the blood work was showing I had hypercalcemia. So I, the sarcoid was throwing high calcium into my blood system and I started developing kidney stones. Oh, wow. So Lo and behold, I was still resistant to any prednisone therapy. And Dr. Case was really awesome. He's like, they're your kidneys. I'm not going to fight you on this. It's up to you. And, you know, I'm not, not going to force you to go on prednisone if you don't, um, if you if that's not where you are. Well, was and, he saying that your kidneys were going to fail or just that they were going to be reasonably ineffective or you're well, going to have all the kidney he, stones? My, my function, my kidney function had dropped, but not to the point that, we were looking at any type of failure. Okay. And if I couldn't knock the hypercalcemia down in my blood levels, I was going to continue to have problems with kidney stones. Okay. And he was like, if that's what you want to deal with, I, you know, I was pretty adamant. I wanted nothing to do with high doses of prednisone. Sure. 2009 brought me to, uh, my eyes started becoming um, 
inflamed. They treated that. I had a bout of uveitis and was treated with a prednisolone, the um, prednisone drop. Right. In your eyes. Yes. And I was treated for glaucoma and my eyes were dry. My eyes became quite miserable. They were um, quite a point of focus as far as um, what the sarcoid was doing. You know, it was a full-blown right. uveitis at certain periods of time. And then in um, 2013, I had pretty significant, I was sitting at work and had pretty significant chest pain and thought, and I'm a pretty, very independent and I don't like people um, worrying about me or me um, trying to, you know, kind of like to do things my own way. So I decided I probably needed to go up the hill, which is where our big hospital, one of our big hospitals, go up the hill. Maybe I should go to the emergency room because it wasn't letting up. Okay. This chest pain. And I decided maybe I shouldn't drive myself. So wow. I called one of my coworkers and said, okay, could you just drop me at the door and call my husband? Let him know what's going on. He was working about 45 minutes away from me. We'll figure it out. He doesn't need to leave work. And so by the time she got me up to the emergency entrance, she's like, can I please just go in with you? And I said, okay, I'll let you stay until they figure out what's going on. Probably best if I have somebody there. So they, um, because they were concerned about why was I complaining about chest pain, they ran some, I don't know if it was an x-ray that they did first, but they found a 16 milliliter kidney stone that they thought, which is sizable. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty large kidney stone. And yeah. I wasn't having any pain that I thought related to the kidney stone. I was having chest wall pain. And there, the hospital's focus was on the kidney stone. Okay. And so my friends stayed until they had some decent pain meds in me, and they decided they were going to keep me for 24 hours for observation, have me meet with a urologist to talk about what they wanted to do. He left, my husband showed up, talked to the urologist about the fact that this was so large, they were probably going to have to go to surgery to go in through the back. Because it was still in, you know, really hadn't started traveling. So they were going to go into the kidney itself and remove the stone. Really? But they weren't going to do it then. They wanted to wait. They were trying to figure out when they were going to schedule it. So they were going to keep me for 24 hours. And I kept thinking, something's not right with my breathing. I don't, you know, yeah, we've got right. this kidney stone thing going on. And I was really quite miserable. And they got me up into 24-hour observation. And I told them I needed to walk because walking is what I do all the time. It's been okay. my barometer for whether my my lungs are doing okay. Okay. They got me up and they put a belt around me and had somebody walking with me. And my um, oxygen levels dropped to below 60. Huh. And she got really concerned and I smiled and said, I told you guys there was something going on with something lung something lung related. I mean they're treating one thing but you're feeling a completely different I sense knew something else was wrong. Right. And yep. so they sent me down to check me for a pulmonary embolus because that's what they were that was the immediate concern was did I have a blood clot in my lungs. And they found double pneumonia and um huh. It admitted me for a couple days at that time to get that pneumonia under control a little bit enough to go home. So that was pneumonia, but it was was they were they mistaking was Sark present there or was it? Yes, 
It was. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And it okay. and it had and it's been there. I mean, the, I've right. had scar tissue develop from the granulomas. Sure. Went home and they wanted me to get those lungs cleared up before they did this kidney surgery on me. Had the kidney surgery scheduled for like 10 days after that. So we're in May of 2013 and I got, I was in the waiting bin of the operating room and was still coughing and the anesthesiologist canceled the surgery he said uh-huh. now if you if we do this now you're going to end up on a vent for a couple days and we'd like to avoid that canceled the surgery put it out another two weeks and i um worked my tail off at home between walking and coughing getting all this crud up out of my lungs and went back in, had the surgery, um, and stayed for a couple of days. And, and when I was in the first time with when they finally discovered the pneumonia is when I met the pulmonologist that I have now. Okay. Who, who works for um, what's, we've had a hospital merger in the state of Michigan between Spectrum and um, Beaumont over in Detroit. The two have merged. So now we have Corwell East and Corwell West. So he, um, my pulmonologist, uh, works with the pulmonology clinic that um, is actually, look, it looks like they're going to be involved with the clinical trials with ephesophidomide. Ephesophidomide, yep, yep, the A-time Doesn't product. roll yep. off the tongue easily, John. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's, this. Uh, I've had to learn all this as well. So, okay, so ephesophid is the current clinical trial. Ephesophid. Yep. And yeah. so I met him and I really, um, he's, he's very much into educating his patients. I think he appreciates it when the patients want to learn more about the physiology behind the disease. And I asked if I could start treating with him because I had been driving back and forth to U of M a couple times a year. Um, and that seemed like it was somewhat unnecessary at that point. So I've been treating with him, um, had more problems with my eyes. And have a great, um, a great ophthalmologist. He's a retinal specialist, Dr. Auberg, that has um, monitored and treated me. Um, I probably, I think, I see him every six months. Okay. To make sure everything has stayed quiet with my eyes. So your eyes, your eyes are currently disease-free, as it were. Yes. Great. I have horrible dry eye that they finally got restasis approved for. They had to do, they had to do quite a bit of hoop jumping for that. So wait a minute. So, so you did eventually go on the prednisone. Yes. I think I missed that somewhere along the way. So, so eventually you said yes to the prednisone. I did. I did. And and I don't recall what the highest dose was that we started at, but I do believe it's because of, um, and I can't remember whether it was lung or or um, eye related. It might have been eye related. I'm not sure. I but I don't think I was ever on like 80 milligrams or 60 milligrams a day. I think we've always started out somewhere between 40 and 20. Had weaned down to one milligram a day and was on um, a non-steroidal, the Plaquenil, to try and maintain this normal level right and in and my eyes have been relatively quiescent since 2018 2019 okay had some blood work come back that was really funky my white blood cell count was low they kept testing me about every two months and it stayed low 
Um, my primary care physician was very concerned about that. And then my kidney functions were waxing and waning. Like they were dropping into levels that weren't, weren't optimum. They weren't, you know, so my kidney function wasn't at the best it could be. Now, did, However, uh, well, I just want to, I want to back up a little bit because we've talked about a bunch of organs. So we've got eyes, we've got lungs for sure. The, the the kidney malfunction, has that ever been directly tied to sarcoidosis or was that just another unfortunate set of circumstances? It's been the um it's it's been because of the hypercalcemia. Okay, gotcha. Which is yep. because of the sarcoidosis. Which is because of the sarcoidosis. So everything's tied together. Yes. <laughs> Chain reaction. Yes. Um on top of that, not having to do with the Sark, I, in, in 2002, I had changed jobs in 2001, um, previous to um, 2001, for 23, 24 years, I was a um, freelance court stenographer in the West Michigan area and had my own business. Court stenographer, okay. Yep. Yes. Nice. Yeah, the deposition work I had, I did most, 95% of what I did was medical depositions. Okay. all medical disciplines. So I learned everything about, you know, you know, you learn by us, you know, you learn by sitting and re reporting on a stenograph machine, everything right. everybody's saying, you go home and you transcribe it and then you proofread it. And so you've read it, you've heard it or read it three times before it goes out the door. So I absorbed a lot of information. Over so, so all this medical jargon just kind of rolls off of you now. It does. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> it does. Gotcha. And then our son left for college in 2000, the fall of 2000, he ended up at U of M. And I, you know, I was working 60, 70 hours a week for my, you know, it was my own business. And you're just trying to do everything you can to, to, to produce a good work product and right. your clients. And I decided I wanted a job that had benefits, that I wouldn't have so many hours and had an opportunity with, um, U.S. Probation and Pretrial Services out of Western District of Michigan and okay. um, worked for them for 20 years. So in 2002-ish, I started having um, terrible bouts of diverticulitis okay. um, unrelated to the sarcoid. Okay. So that was going on in the background, and sometimes that was the greater focus. And then, so fast forward to 2000. 21 when I had all this odd blood work going on and had um, been being followed by a, a, a colorectal surgeon for when are we going to pull the trigger on doing a resection because of the diabetes. Right. And decided to retire in December of 2021 and then um, had that surgery when we got back from Key West. Okay. Now, wait, which surgery was that? Uh, resection, colorectal okay. resection. Okay, got it. So they, a colon resection. And so they did a resection to get rid of that disease part. And I thought, woo, I'm good to go. My, you know, blood work's stable. My eyes have been great. My lungs have been great. Got rid of the, the, um, the issue that was, you know, that was putting me on antibiotics a couple times a year. And uh, everything was good until I had this flare last year and started probably in December and in February or January, we were in Florida again and I was walking every day and really huffing and puffing. And I thought, geez, 
something is definitely wrong. Uh-huh. And, and this is um, last year? This was this past December and this January. Wow. Okay. So just, just, okay. Just months ago then. Yeah. yeah. And um, I had a, an appointment with my pulmonologist scheduled for the end of April for my six month checkup and decided in February, I'm calling and I'm going to, you know, I don't like to be a squeaky wheel, but I think it's time. And they got me right in to see his PA and did a sex ray. And she said, yeah, you're having a flare. A flare. So I hadn't had a lung, a real lung flare other than a couple bouts of pneumonia. Right. Um, for years, probably since, I don't know, 2006 after my dad passed and I had wow. this terrible coughing. Yeah. So I was shocked. I just did not, I was sort of blindsided. I did not see that coming. And um, the flare has been, I mean, she put me, uh, the PA had me go on 20 milligrams of prednisone a day. Right. And that really was effective at settling it down. But of course, you don't want to stay on it. And we nope. started a taper last week. Last week, as we're yes. speaking. And we're speaking early May 2023, just for listeners sake. Yes. So you are you are currently undergoing a flare right now. Yes. So when you go do your normal walking, how does that feel? It felt like I was turbocharged from the prednisone. From the bread, so I yep. was cranking out five miles on a number of times, you know, three times, four times a week, very hilly um, or where we live, it's pretty hilly. And so on my Garmin, it was um, recording as 20, 20 flights of stairs by the time I got done. Okay. And now as I've started to taper, I've already noticed um, I'm a little, I, I'm not quite as turbocharged and I have a little huff and puff back, but it's only, it's been only a week since we um, cut back to 15. And I right. feel like I need to give this some time before I make a phone call and say, Hey, this, you know, right. I, this isn't working. I feel like my body needs to just say, okay, we, we, we're down five milligrams. This is okay. And, and take it slow. Right. I'm curious because I mean, the, the prednisone sometimes makes you want to go as it were, uh, and it, I'm just amazed at the number of people who've been on the podcast who are active, active people, and they kind of know their bodies. So like you go for a walk, you know how it is supposed to feel, right? Yes, yes. And and so when, when you went for that walk and you felt turbocharged from the prednisone, which sort of gives you that up and that extra energy, especially right when you first start taking it, then my experience and uh, after talking to so many people, I kind of... I kind of have a sense of how that goes. Um, but I'm curious, were, were your lungs able to go even though your mind wanted to go? Or And now that you've dropped back to the 15, are you is, is it the sense that your lungs just aren't right yet? To answer your first question, my lungs were, my lungs felt fantastic. Okay. I uh, totally had no indication of... Um, any type of compromise in there. Okay. And that took about probably a week to get there once I started, maybe two weeks after I started the prednisone. Started it on March 17th. Yeah, that's and pretty fast. Yeah, it was it, it was almost immediate improvement. 
and um, they have been clear as a bell, and I've been cranking out the miles. And now that we've scaled back a little bit, um, I might. I took a four and a half mile walk two days ago. The weather's been pretty cold and wet in Michigan, and I can do snow, and I can do cold, but I don't like cold and wet. It's right. Just, I, the, the weather sometimes is my boss. Um, but I noticed. Monday when I took this four and a half mile walk in my son's neighborhood, I'm at my son's helping with my grandkids this week. Um, the um, it's real flat here. I don't have any hills here, but I right. was I was done at four and a half miles, and I thought, is this a taper thing? Is it a weather thing? I'm not really sure. I'm gonna supposed to start warming up today, and I'll know more probably by the end of the week whether my lungs because I'll be back home or whether my lungs will be able to tolerate the hills. Interesting. Well, I'm just I'm just curious if the prednisone is working. And yeah, you said something that I keyed in on. You said the PA prescribed 20 milligrams. With a condition as serious as yours, I'm surprised you're seeing a physician's assistant and yeah, not I, a SARC I've, specialist. I've seen her in the past. Um, I saw her when I was hospitalized in 2013. She was with Dr. Fitch, when okay. um, he came to visit me, and I'm so impressed by her sarcoid knowledge. And he was—he's a hospital—he's at the hospital a lot, and was not yeah. able to see me when I called to get in, yeah. but they could get me in to see Kelly. And um, I used—I used to think in the same vein, but I have been so impressed with their PAs at that. At the, it's formerly known as Spectrum Health. Um, pulmonology group, right? Okay. Um, now Corwell, but um, I've been so impressed with their PAs there that you know they've seen me. They see you immediately if if your doctor's not available, and they've been able to work with me on a couple different bouts of pneumonia when I couldn't see him, and then Kelly got me up and running on the prednisone when I got in to see her on uh, March seventeenth. So what do you think is your long-term prognosis? You're and first of all, you're you just said you're there with, at your son's house watching your grandkids. How many grandkids do you have? I have two and there's there's really no watching. I, I call it shuttling. I'm shuttling the grandkids this shuttling, yeah. Because they're um one's fourteen and the other's eight, and they're pretty self-sufficient. Okay. Um so I, uh, my daughter-in-law works pretty much full time and my son happens to be out of town this week. So um, uh, I get to shuttle and spend more time with them when, than I typically do. So, That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I, it I, have, I have seven grandkids and they're all five and under and they're not self-sufficient. Wow. They all live locally. And when they all come to the house, it is absolute chaos. I bet it is. It's like the circus came to town. I it's thought. exactly what it is. <laughs> and when they leave the house is upside down, but that's okay. Anyway, so so are you you have the energy to do all your shuttling and that kind of stuff and live your daily life? Yeah, I yeah. feel really good. I, okay. I, I, you know, and and that's after I listened to your podcast, I thought you have no business going on his podcast. These so many patients are so much sicker than you and or the Sark warriors, and they, you know, I hear them not getting diagnosed for years, and I hear how their struggles are and your struggle, and I think I have been so fortunate that I have not had to deal with it. And yet, for 30 years, you've had surgery, and you've had kidney stones, and you've had, you know, don't 
don't downplay like that's why they call it the snowflake disease because it's it it represents differently in every person's body and it has impacted you it's it ha- it has to have changed your life it has it has changed my life in the sense that i am really dialed in to my health and um I have had to find, you know, I, I tell people, you've got to find your own happy place. Nobody's going to find it for you. And I have found coping mechanisms that have worked for me that I, I truly think I absorbed a lot of my mom's um, powerhouse. My mom was 100% Irish. She was a nurse. And there wasn't anything that was going to keep her down. And she had surgery after surgery with the really what was how or the bone and joint spectrum with the rheumatoid and she was all about moving in a forward direction and she was right. probably she probably should have been the most miserable person I've ever known and she was probably the happiest person I've ever known and that rubs off on you after right. you know when you grow up and then leave home to go to school and she's still struggling with things and still moving in a forward direction so I think that I absorb, I was able to absorb that by watching her and saw what worked for her and found my own coping mechanisms. And um, that's probably what has kept me moving forward. You know, the walking, I'm not, I've never been a runner. And it's right. kind of, I've been a little bit of, joke, of a joke in my family that I've never really been an athlete. But I can walk the socks off of anybody. I, you yeah. know, a lot of people don't want to walk with me because they can't keep up with me. Okay. I, I feel it important to work my lungs, and so um, you can't get to the base of your lungs if you're not really ex- exerting some effort. And you, you know, you've got your lungs are sizable. You need to be able to clear out the bases of them. Right. Even if there's no sark in there, and even if you've got scar tissue. You need to be able to clear the, you know, get the fluids pumping out of there to keep, so that you know when something's wrong. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Well, look, we got about five minutes left here. I wanted to ask you because you're considering participating in the Fsofitimod clinical trial. Uh, your your hospital is going to be one of those where they're working on that. Well, my pulmonologist's office. Okay. And so what is, but you, what, what made you decide that that's something you wanted to look at? I want to get off. I'd like to get off the prednisone and um, from everything I've read from that, that's, you know, one of the big features is to get you off, but they also talked about in your um, town hall or round table discussion about it being a disease modifying drug. Yep. And so if my pulmonary function studies could improve, by getting on that and getting off of prednisone, um, I'm I'm all for it. I've got yeah. a lot to do yet, John. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. We're, we're loving life and we're traveling and we're kicking things off our bucket list. And um, I just, you know, I I am hoping to see improvement. Great. So, uh, what uh, what is it you want to see most in your travels? Do you have uh, Do you have something that's just out there? Is it like something exotic like Easter Island or Machu Picchu or where, where, where do you want to go? What is it? Wait, I, you know, we went to Glacier last year, which was on the list. Uh-huh. And, um, probably more than anything would love to go to Ireland or 
go into the Vatican. And um, from that standpoint, that's, there's some big things out there, but there's right. also an awful lot in the state we haven't done yet. We've got to spend right. quite a bit of time in the Keys, and it's been fun. The Keys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was down in the Keys um, earlier this year, and I did a bike tour in Glacier National Park back, I guess it was 2015. I just love that place. Oh, it was wow. um, it unreal. Was, I, I was speechless through a lot of it. Yeah, I was poked up through a lot of it. You know, it's unreal out there. Yeah. Yeah, so much, so much to see. And when yeah. I got sick, I had not seen the Grand Canyon, and I didn't know during the worst part of my treatment if and what I what I was going to look like coming out the backside. And I just looked at my wife and said, "We have to go to the Grand Canyon. I've never seen the Grand Canyon." So we went, and it was everything I, I, I expected and more. So unbelievable. Well, one of my biggest things was I wanted to drive up. I, I myself wanted to drive the Pacific Coast Highway in a convertible, and I got an opportunity to do that at a conference I went to out in L.A. with some some co-workers, and that was a ton of fun. I rented yeah. a car. I wouldn't let anybody else drive, and my IT manager had to guide me through the L.A. traffic, but um, that was a really fun thing. And then we went to San Francisco and saw Van Morrison in Oakland at the Fox Theater. Oh, wow. Back in 2016. So slowly but surely, we're kicking things off. Van Morrison. Wow. Yeah. Did yeah. He, so so he sang Brown Eyed Girl, I'm sure. Yes, he did. Oh, wow. That'd be great. I didn't know that Van Morrison was still doing shows. Yes, he is. Wow. I would, I would, I'd go out of my way to see that. I think but, he's going to be in Vegas soon. Yeah, Vegas. Okay. Well, that's all the way across the country from me, but that might be, <laughs> might be something I'd be interested in. Um, for sure. Well, listen, um, so what's next for you? Uh, you you're just going to keep working through this. Uh, you're at 15 milligrams. You're going to try and wean yourself off of that and then hope for the best going forward and then just treat the flares as they come. I will and see if I qualify for the FSL FIT study. Yep. I uh, interviewed yesterday for a um, the FSR Global Alliance Clinic leader. Leadership, yep. Leadership. And um, I just, after listening to your podcast, I kind of stuck my head in the sand back in when I was diagnosed. I went on Inspire and I saw that um, I don't want to think about these things. I don't want to worry about whether these things are going to happen to me. And now I come full circle and feel like there's more that I can do. Yeah, I I went through the same pattern. I I didn't want to know. I didn't want to read about it. I didn't want to go on the, the sites and... And now, uh, you know, again, I've gone full circle to where I'm sort of leading some of these discussions. Well, Mary Kay, thank you so much for joining me here today on the Sark Fighter podcast. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much, Don. And thank you for what you're doing for the Sark Warriors out here. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling So thanks to Mary Kay for sharing her story. Again, her determination to just get out there and do it. We didn't even get to, uh, in the interview, her talking about having bought a Harley in the middle of all that and gone on all these uh, exotic vacations uh, on a motorcycle. So good for her, right? I mean, she is just getting it done. So thank you, Mary Kay, for that interview. Also, I uh, do want to remind you that solo... uh, (laughs) Cello, 
I want to remind you that fellow Sark fighter Royce Robertson is doing a fundraising bike ride that'll take him three days to complete as he rides this summer from Buffalo to Syracuse, New York. He is calling that event Cycle 4 Sark with the number four in the middle, Cycle number four Sark. I've made made a donation to his account, which is all part of KISS, kick in to stop sarcoidosis, and all the info to donate is in the show notes, or you go to the FSR website, click on Join Team KISS, and scroll down to Royce's page, again called Cycle for Sark. And hopefully next summer I will be able to join Royce. Hey, I do look forward to telling you all about the Crystal Awards Gala in Washington, D.C., and also look for that bonus episode as we explore the connection between DNA and sarcoidosis. The official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter, and you can hear the story behind those very accurate lyrics in episode 12. I release the podcast every other Monday, and as I'm speaking today, my trusty dog Dougal is curled up on the chair in my office. Dougal makes my life so much better. Uh, the backstory to the founding for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. Don't forget to follow the Sark Fighter on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Peloton as Sark Fighter. And my cycling blog called Carl and the Cyclist has a section entitled Cycling with Sarcoidosis. Also, if you are new here and you're just trying to figure out what Sark is, go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. And my story is episode one. If you want to contact me, send me an email. It's in the show notes, carlinagency at gmail.com. And it does help me to reach more people and grow the podcast if you share it on your social media. And if you like it, please just tell one person. So please subscribe and give the show a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your downloads. Until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel your pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade. Trying to keep up the pace